And we're going to read from, cha- uh, from verse 1, and Carl's going to preach on this. So 2 Corinthians, towards the back of the Bible, chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven but not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed inside, instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we'll not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Carl, I invite you uh, to come up and preach on that. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the words that you have spoken. And Lord, we pray that as we read them, as we study them, as we think about them, that we would have the mind of Christ, that we would think your thoughts after you. And Lord, particularly this morning as we think about the realities of life and of death, those things which touch each of our existence. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, encourage us, comfort and console us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, life and death are the two great realities, aren't they? Uh, We all live and we all die. There is the joy and the pain of life, and there is the fear of death. Shakespeare captured uh, those two poles, if you like, so well in that famous question that Hamlet asked, to be or not to be? Whether it's nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. To die, to sleep no more, and by a sleep to say, we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. Hamlet saying, I don't know whether I should live or die. Whether I should end my life because of all the misery 
It's a consummation devoutly to be wished, he says. And he goes on, listen to this. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time? The oppressor's wrong. The proud man's contumely, whatever that means. The pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes, when he himself might his quietest make with a bare bodkin, that is, with an arrow. He's saying, why would I put up with all this rubbish when I could just end it all with the stabbing myself in the heart with an arrow? Who would burdens bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life but the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveller returns? I want my life to end because it's too hard. But I'm so afraid of what comes next that I daren't do it. Well, that's Hamlet's view of death and life. Miserable life. Uncertain death. That's poles apart from what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's just been talking about the great difficulties he faced in his ministry, how his ministry was killing him. But how on the inside, God's power was changing and refining him. And as he thinks about that, as he thinks about the reality of costly ministry and God's resurrection power, he begins to wax lyrical here in this section uh, in chapter 5. He goes on to, to speak about the grand themes of death and life and eternity and he goes on to explain how it is that he can face death, how he can look it square in the eye, how he can face it and also, I think, how he can face life. How he can face them through the realities of the gospel. He begins in verse 1 with what we know. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Paul uses such uh, illustrative language. Our earthly tent is our body. And Paul says that even if it's destroyed, well, it doesn't matter because it's just a tent. We have a a home. Not a bricks and mortar home, but one built by God with the hands of God. When I was uh, growing up, every Christmas holidays, my family would go camping. We'd finish school on Thursdays, often, and uh, Dad would spend that night packing the trailer. Uh, We'd pack the tent in. And everything else, all the leisurely comforts of uh, modern camping. We pack them in, we drive up the north coast of New South Wales, Coffs Harbour or Port Macquarie or something like that. We put up the tent. And sometimes, you know, you get, you, we were always on the coast, uh, not that far from the beach, and you get some terrible weather sometimes. The storms would come rolling in and it would bucket down and, uh, you know, the, the trees would threaten to kind of fall over and burst apart and crush the tent. I remember one year we all had to go and run to the toilets, the toilet blocks, so that we could shelter in case, uh, you know, things really got out of hand. There was always a danger that the tent would be destroyed. And that would make for a miserable holiday, wouldn't it? But 
as bad as it would be for your camping experience to be ended prematurely, there was always a house to go back to, wasn't there? Even if your tent is ripped to pieces, even if your caravan is decimated, we could always drive back to Sydney. There was always a, a home waiting for us there. And Paul's saying, that's what our life is like. It's like we're camping out in a tent. It's just a temporary dwelling. And even if it's destroyed, well, it might make for a rotten holiday, but even if it's destroyed, there's a house to go back to. There's a place to go to that outlasts the storms of life. Paul says, we know that if this earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. And that's not just a faint hope. It's not just, well, you know, I really hope that there's a building from God. He says, we know it. Verse 5, because God made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit of the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. We know we have a home from God because, Paul says, we have the spirit as a guarantee of what is to come. If you like, through the Spirit we begin to share already now in that final resurrection. The resurrection power of God from the end of time has reached back now into our lives and is affecting us even here and now. And Paul says it's like a deposit. It's like a down payment on a loan. It's the beginning of that final resurrection from the dead. Paul says, we know that we have this home because the Spirit is conforming our minds and our hearts to the likeness of Jesus Christ. You see, it's one thing to know that God raises the dead. That's great to know, isn't it? What a great encouragement. But it's quite another level of encouragement to know that God will raise you from the dead, that that's your future position. So many people face death without that assurance. They they believe that, that God raises the dead. They believe that. But as they face death, they think to themselves, but I don't know whether that's my, my promise, whether God has made that promise to me as well. They face death perhaps with no assurance because they've never taken the time to examine their lives, to see if there's any evidence of God at work in them. Whether there's a growing love for God or a growing love for the people of God, whether there's a growing joy in the gospel or a growing desire to know Christ and to be found in him, a growing hunger for holiness or a growing zeal for righteousness, a growing humility, a growing compassion, a growing mercy. Some people face death with no assurance because they've never taken the time to look, to observe, to examine. And it's not something that you can just do in a moment, sort of, well, yes, that's right, I've spent five minutes examining my heart and my life and now I have this confidence before God. It takes time, it takes prayer. On your knees pleading with God, please God, show me your work in my life. You might find that there's no evidence of God at work in your life, but that's okay. Because at least you know where you are and you can turn to God and say, well, God, I always thought that I was a Christian, but actually there's no sign of your work in my life. 
please save me through Jesus. Begin that work today. Some people face death with no assurance because they've never taken the time to look. Other people face death with no assurance because there's no assurance there to be had. If they were to look, they wouldn't find anything. They're still the same person that they've always been. They're just as self-interested, just as joyless, just as marred by sin as ever they have been. Again, if that's you, then the remedy to that is not to say, well, that's the end of the road for me. The remedy is to say, Lord, please begin in my life that work today. Some people face death with no assurance because they've not taken the time to look Others because there's no assurance to be had. Some people face death with no assurance because they're so tender-hearted. <laughs> they're so prone to underestimate the work of God in their lives. Everyone else looks at them and, and can see the power of God at work in them. It's always the way, isn't it? They think they, think they are so ungodly. And everyone else looks at them and thinks... Well, isn't God doing a great thing in that person? They see all their failings. And so every day they find themselves on their knees pleading for God to begin a great work in them. And all the time they fail to see that that poverty of spirit, that mourning over sin, that hungering and thirsting after righteousness is in fact a work of God, which he has begun in them. Paul had this calm assurance as he faced death and as he seemed to face it every day. He had this calm assurance that even if his body was destroyed, he had a building in heaven made by God. And I think it's no exaggeration to say that to spend time with people who have that same assurance is one of the great treasures in life, to spend time with someone dying in the hope of the gospel and sure and firm in the knowledge that they belong to Christ is one of the great treasures of life. I love that story, that moving story of Henry Venn, an English clergyman in the 18th century, who took his family on an excursion, his young children on an excursion, what to see? What was the most wonderful thing in the world that Henry Venn wanted his children to see? He took them to the house of a destitute 19-year-old man who was dying. And he said, kids, look at this man and listen to him speak of the hope that he has in the gospel. And the young man, Abraham Midwood, said, I wouldn't trade my life with anyone else, not for the richest man in the world, because I know that I'm going this night to be with my Lord and God, Jesus Christ. There's no greater treasure than to meet and to be in the company of a man like Paul with that calm assurance. We know that if this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God made by him. Well, Paul says we know, we know we have this home, but then he goes on to say that even though we know this, 
that because we know this in fact, we groan, we know and we also groan. Verse 2, meanwhile we groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. And verse 4, for while we are in this tent we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Knowing doesn't make the wait any easier. Paul says that they're burdened by the knowledge of what is to come. It weighs them down and it wears them out. They they groan and they sigh. Why is that? Paul says they groan because they don't want to be unclothed. They don't want to be found naked. By naked he means without a body. Doesn't want to be found without his body that God has given him. There's something deeply distressing about the death of our fleshly existence. It's not normal. It's not right. And Paul says that they groan because of it. He says their great hope is not to be unclothed, not to be without his body, but rather to be clothed with something better so that the mortal may be swallowed up by life. Some people describe it as so that we might put on the overcoat of immortality. I love that. It's not to be without the body, but it's not to be with a different body, if you like, but for this body that God has given us to be so taken up with the resurrection power of God. It's like being dressed in a coat of immortality. Our bodies clothed with with life. Paul's groaning, his perspective on Life and death is so important to understand because it enables us to realise and to recognise that the slow death and decay of our present physical existence is not immaterial. It's not as though we can just say, well, that's, you know, well, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if my body decays. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul isn't saying, look, princess, you've got an eternal home uh, in heaven with God. Uh, so you're facing death, well, toughen up, you know? Eat some concrete, get over it, build a bridge. Paul's not saying that. He's saying, actually, that losing our body, that our body decaying and dying is wrong. It's, it's, it's not right. They're right. It's rightly disturbing to face death and sickness and decay. It's not wrong to go, this is painful, this is hard. And yet, even in the face of that, Paul says, we can have great hope in pain, suffering, distressed, but with the hope that what is mortal may be clothed and swallowed up by everlasting life. Paul's burden isn't merely to be free from agony. It's not merely to be clothed with life. More positively again, 
He also groans, he also longs in verse 6 for something else. He longs to be with Jesus. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith and not by sight. So along with the great tragedy of our present existence, which is that our bodies are decaying, the other great tragedy of our present existence is that we're away from Jesus. In his book, uh, God is the Gospel, John Piper provocatively asks uh, this. He says, The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? So easy, isn't it? To have misplaced desires, to long for eternity, but actually for an eternity without God. (laughs) The same miserable existence that we have now. Paul says we groan and are burdened because while we're at home here in this life, in this body, we're away from Jesus Christ. There are, so few, there are few signs so precious of the work of God in someone's life as a longing for Christ. To long for peace or freedom from pain aren't sure signs of a work of the gospel in someone's heart. See, anyone can long for a better life, can't they? But it takes a work of the Spirit of God for somebody to long for Jesus Christ. What is it that God wants for us most of all? It's to know and love his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says, we know we have an eternal house from God and knowing that, we groan, longing to be clothed with it. Last of all, he goes on to say how that shapes the purposes of his life here and now. He says in verse 9 and 10, so we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul's goal is to please Jesus because he knows that everyone will appear before him on the last day and and they will have to give an account. The judgment that Paul is talking about is not to determine salvation versus condemnation. That judgment is based on on whether we have believed in Jesus Christ. It's not made on the basis of what we do, whether good or bad. Paul isn't talking about condemnation, but he's talking about commendation or reward. Our life of Christian service will be evaluated by God. We'll stand before God and give him account of what we've done with the life that he's given to us. 
Paul has already written about that to the Corinthians in his first letter, or 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 11. Uh, He writes there, No one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That is, the gospel is the foundation. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. That is, our work of gospel service, uh, if it's good work, the great day will show that work for what it is. It will be revealed to be a precious work. Alternatively, uh, it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. If If it's a precious work, it will be shown to be what it is. If it's a shoddy work, it will be shown for what it is as well. Shoddy workmanship in the gospel and gospel service might not consign us to hell, Paul says. But it is sobering, I think, to think that on the last day, the day that we meet Jesus, we'll have to give an account of the way that we've lived. Give an account of our gospel service. That may be uncomfortable. That reality motivates Paul to live well now. It's quite a contrast, isn't it, that, that perspective from the perspective which says that we should only serve God out of gratitude. That that's, that's the only kind of service which God delights in. We should serve God out of gratitude, there's no denying that. But Paul says we should also serve God because one day we're going to have to give an account. Some people say it's wrong to serve God out of duty or obligation. Paul says, effectively, that's rubbish. Imagine if you lived, imagine if you lived your marriage that way. Well, I'll only serve uh, my wife, my husband, uh, if it's out of gratitude, uh, if it's out of love, out of deep feelings and emotions. Can you wash up tonight? No, I can't do that. I would hate to do that only out of a sense of obligation. Well, I wonder what would happen in that relationship. Paul says, we make it our aim to please God, not because that's our greatest desire every day. Well, I can't think of anything better to do, Paul says to himself, than to die today. What a great thing to do. What a great thing to do to die today, to confront the Corinthians over their sin. What a great thing to do. No, he says he does it because on the last day he'll have to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems an odd place to finish, doesn't it? A section on future glory and life and death by talking about appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. It seems anticlimactic. Paul, we have a we have a building not made by human hands waiting for us in heaven. Why talk about the judgment seat of Christ? You're just dampening our enthusiasm. 
Why end with that? I think Paul's reason is balance. The great danger of the hope that we have is that we end up treating this life as unimportant. The danger is that we live this life frivolously and carelessly and fail to realise that Jesus will require us to give an account. Paul is saying, if you like, I long to be with Christ. But while I'm here, I'm going to make a good fist of it. To live as Christ and to die as gain. To live as Christ. To do Christ's work. To serve Christ's purposes. And yet to die as gain. It's not that this life doesn't matter because it's passing away, because it's decaying. It matters a great deal. And within that framework, you can begin to understand, I think, why it is that Paul and Timothy and Titus gave themselves to costly gospel ministry. You can begin to understand why they'd be willing to be broken and harassed, pressed down, stressed out, serving people with the words of the gospel. They could do it because they knew that even if this earthly tent is destroyed, they have a home from God in heaven made by his hands. They could do costly gospel ministry because they groaned, not longing to be unclothed, to be naked, but to put on that overcoat of immortality. And if their gospel service and their gospel ministry could hasten that day, then bring it on. They could do costly gospel service and gospel ministry because their aim was to please Christ. Because they knew that one day they would stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what they'd done in the body, whether good or bad. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that our salvation in Christ Jesus is sure, not because anything that we have done, but because he laid down his life for our sins and rose from the grave to everlasting life. And thank you that when we put our trust in him, our salvation is sure, firm and steadfast and none can take it away, none can pluck us out of your hands. Lord, thank you that the, for the confidence that, that gives us as we face the realities of our failing life and as we face the realities of the agonies of death. Thank you that, like Paul, we can say, I know that even if this tent is destroyed, I have a building from God. Lord, we pray that 
with Paul, we would groan and sigh as we wait for the realities of heaven to be revealed in all their glorious fullness. When the city of God comes and takes its place in this world, in this universe, when death is swallowed up in victory, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? Lord, we pray that we would groan, longing for that overcoat of immortality and life. But more than that, longing to know Christ even as we are fully known. Oh God, hasten that day. And Lord, as we live here in the meantime, as we await that glorious resurrection, help us to live well in gospel service and in gospel ministry. Equip us and enable us, we ask it, to do your work, to proclaim the gospel, to reveal to those who are perishing the glory of the gospel of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We ask it for his glory. Amen.